Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Sage, let me start you right out with Drew Brees. Now, everybody is going to talk this week about how good Drew Brees is, how awesome he was in the second half of that game coming back in the Miracle Game. Tell me your perspective, though. Tell me something that I don't know or that fans would not realize about Drew Brees that takes him from... Maybe he's just a good quarterback to this guy is Hall of Fame above everyone else. This is why he's the best. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I came out with Drew in 2001. And, uh, you know, he was just one of these guys, uh, of all the guys at the Combine. You know, he sort of had like this uh, sort of electricity about him. Um, you know, everybody really, really liked him. Uh, I remember his, his left tackle, Matt Light. We ended up having lunch together and he was talking about, you know, Drew as a quarterback. He's, he was, you know, sort of one of those gym rat, you know, competitive kids when he was growing up in Texas. Uh, what, you know, wasn't really recruited by anybody in Texas. Uh, I actually had a college coach who had been at TCU. They didn't recruit him uh, at all. He ends up at Purdue and, uh, he, here's, here's a Drew Brees story. Uh, the, again, I, I believe this was at the, maybe the combine or something my, after my senior year. And uh, I'm talking to Marquise Tuyasa Sopo. If you remember that name, he's a quarterback at Washington, second round draft pick. I covered uh, Marquise Tuyasa Sopo. No, his brother? I covered it. I think he was either him or his brother in the minor leagues with baseball. Is he the one that yeah, played very, baseball? Uh, very possibly. I'm not, I'm not really sure. But anyway, Tui was, t- we're talking about the Rose Bowl. Uh, and Washington had lost to Purdue in the Rose Bowl. And, and Tui was talking about how, you know, they sort of thought they had the win because Breeze had gotten hurt, uh, in that game and went in the locker room. And, you know, they, I think that they took the lead or were, were coming back and they really thought they had this thing. And he said, literally when Drew Breeze walked back out of the locker room and started throwing, it's like the whole team was like, crap, hmm. we're going to lose this game. I mean, he has that ability to make everybody around him better. And I think that's one of those things that he's not talked about with quarterbacks. You know, what, what is the team when, if he's not on it, you know, how good is that team? He's not on it. And, 
I think that Purdue team back in those days said you had Matt Life, but you didn't have a lot of other, you know, stars on that team. You know, maybe a guy or two that made the NFL for a couple of years, but not a ton of talent. He made that whole team so much better. He's made the New Orleans Saints team so much better over the years. And, you know, that's the type of guy you want as a quarterback. Not a guy who just puts up big numbers or is a great thrower, a great athlete. Does he make the team around him better and, and to raise everybody else's game? Drew Brees is that guy. So Kirk Cousins was talking about his accuracy. And it's it's interesting for the different perspectives because Mike Zimmer talks about in the same way that you were just saying of like when you're looking across at that guy and you know what a great competitor he is. And Zimmer didn't say this, but you get the feeling that it's just intimidating for what he's done throughout his career and knowing that he's the guy that you have to somehow find a way to beat. And uh, it's very difficult to do. But from the accuracy standpoint, um, when guys are coming out in the draft, it always seems like, man, this guy has the biggest arm and he's physical, you know, he can run so fast or jump so high and, and those types of things. And the two best quarterbacks in the NFL, Brady and Breeze, not first round picks, Aaron Rodgers, of course, right there in that with those guys, not at the very, very top. And all three of them have this remarkably great accuracy Rodgers has the freak arm and not the other two so much but uh what makes a quarterback as accurate as Drew Brees is you know I don't know I wish I would have known when I was playing (laughs) I I think they've all those guys have just you know the way they throw they're always sort of in 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 great position you know Rodgers is he's a different deal he does stuff with his feet in terrible position and, and still makes these throws but you know you watch Brady throw uh, you know, Jason Garrett used to talk about it when he was my quarterback coach. He used to say, you know, just watch how many times Brady's pass has hit guys right in the chest, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's there's times where people, where quarterbacks will put the ball only where their offensive guy can catch them. And there's times where, and Brady does this probably as good as anybody, you actually throw it to the, to the receiver uh, so he will never drop it. Like, i.e. put it right in his chest, you know, like don't let the running back drop the pass by even having to extend his arms you know, six inches above his head or, or down by his waist, uh, put it right into his chest and, and they almost never drop those. And so, yeah, their accuracy and, and just the, I think the way they, uh, I think the way they understand their offensive guys around them and that all these guys have been in the same offense for a long, long time. And I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, you know, think of Michael Jordan with the triangle offense over all those years. Uh, he knew the ins and outs of all that, of all, you know, every aspect of that offense. Uh, cause they just ran it for years and years and years with Phil Jackson. I, I think that, you know, these three quarterbacks in particular, uh, one of the reasons that they're so good and so accurate is because they have been in the exact same offense. It comes secondhand to them. Uh, and then let's, let's add to that. I think this is one of the reasons Eli Manning has significantly struggled, mm-hmm. uh, since they won that last Super Bowl in 2011. Kevin Gilbride, uh, finally ended up retiring. And ever since then, it's been the different versions of usually the West Coast system. That's not how Eli was trained for about the first 10 years of his career. He has struggled ever since, right? Uh, so I, I think that, you know, these guys being the same offense and obviously they're, they're throwing motion, the way they work with wide receivers, the way they take care of their bodies and stuff in the offseason. Uh, th- you know, these three guys, and it's had Philip Rivers to it. He, he's a Hall of Fame type guy, in my opinion. Uh, they're a lot of fun to watch, and they make everybody around them better. So that kind of speaks to something that came up in Zimmer's press conference about the fourth quarter and Drew Brees and all these great quarterbacks. It just seems like the situational stats, that, that all of their numbers are good, but where you truly take away a lot of the noise of the score and you know things like that, where you see their performances in fourth quarters that are close, 
third down and longs that, that really make quarterbacks um, into who they are, show us who they are. And with him, it's it's about as good as you could ever imagine. Is, is there something that he does when you get to the fourth quarter? Or is it, like you're saying, knowing his head coach, knowing his offense, and then being able to see the opposing team's defense for the entire game? I think it's a huge help that Breeze and Sean Payton together have been together for this long. I, I think they basically think about football and, and offensive football, defensive football, the exact same way. I don't think you can really quantify, you know, how valuable that is. I've always believed quarterbacks, uh, you look at the stats and, you know, it's, you know, Kirk Cousins has a 101 rating, uh, you know, touchdown to interceptions. You look at all these things. I want to look at third downs. I, I believe the, the really good quarterbacks, the reason they're paid the most is, is not because of first and second down when they can mm-hmm. run play action, uh, when they can, they get these sort of base defensive coverages usually. Uh, not as much blitzing or complex blitzing going on. It's these third down packages and, and not really, again, not third and one, not third and two. You know, I'm talking, you know, third and five, third and eight, third and 10 plus. That's where, uh, you know, the elite quarterbacks really separate themselves and, and Breeze is one of those guys. Yeah. You know, what you're bringing up is something that we talked about a lot with Teddy Bridgewater of why the Vikings would want to sign on to him long term that through 2014 and 15, he didn't have any of those huge numbers in large part in 2015 because they were handing to Adrian Peterson more than any other running back in the league. But he was extremely, extremely good on third down, third down and long where defenses know you're going to pass. There's no play action that you can do usually on third down and long. And that really shows up. And for the Vikings, that's where they struggled last week. And and where Kirk Cousins struggled is getting into some of those third and longs when you went back and looked at the game, did you feel like there was something the Jets did or just that the Vikings were always in third and long and that was the cause of some of the third down issues? I think there's a couple of things. They're constantly in these third and long situations. Uh, you know, the, the, I think going against a win for both teams uh, felt like it was nearly impossible for much of the game, especially as you cross the 50 going into that wind. It looked like it was about 30 miles an hour. Uh, but it seemed to me that the Vikings weren't running the ball uh, much on second down, you know, whether it was second two or second 10, it seemed like they would go right to pass. And, and that's, you know, if those were incomplete, especially in the second long situations, you're merely going to be in third long situations. So maybe that's something that they can, they can work on, or maybe that's something that Zimmer and, and John Filippo uh, are talking about earlier this week uh, is, you know, Hey, on second eight, let's see if we can't run the football. Even if it's in a sort of a spread out set, we can spread the defense out, make it look like a pass. Uh, and run some sort of draw or or one back run or something. Uh, it's okay to be in third and five. You don't have to get first downs on second down. That's why you pay Kirk Cousins twenty eight million dollars a year. He should be great at third and five, third and six. Mm-hmm. You know, third and five or under. Uh, you know, th- th- I feel very comfortable with Kirk Cousins completing. You know, a lot of those passes uh, and, and getting a lot of those first downs. You know where I don't feel comfortable third and eight plus with the ball in Kirk Cousins' hand. I mean, we've been talking about this, but this fumbles, with stepping up in the pocket, that's when disaster seems to strike on the third and long situations. And, and I had this stat in an article that I wrote yesterday that on these third and longs, he averages just 5.4 yards per attempt, which is is not very good. And that might change as, as we go along, but that's it's, kind I'm of... Sure it's, I'm sure it's hand down the worst of... of uh, uh, you know, of, of every down, first down, second down, third down, those third longs are, you know, you're, you, it's an impossible situation for Corp. And you know who hates them more than the quarterbacks? The offensive line. Right. The yes. offensive line hates third downs, in particular this offensive line who 
you know, it's no secret they're not the best pass pr- protectors in the league. I'm sure they, they prefer to come off the football. And here they are in all these third and long situations. It must be a really frustrating in that room right now. So I noticed that they, the Jets were finding ways to double team Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. That I, I went through and I took my little MS Paint thing and circled them, you know, how many times that they, on those third and longs, had two guys on top of Diggs and Thielen. And I, I wonder if there's a response to that because they, they are going to get in third and long sometimes. Maybe they reduce them, but they are. But now, finally, it seems like, at least for the Jets, and other teams may copy this, looked at those two receivers and said, beat us with someone else, we dare you. Oh, I think that's absolutely uh, the game plan for that game, and it's going to be the game plan going forward. Uh, you know, I listen, I love Rudy, you know, Kyle Rudolph. He's not a third and long you know, first down maker, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's a, uh, sort of a mid range wide receiver. He can run some seam routes, but he's not a guy that's going to stretch the field as a tight end. Uh, he's never been super fast and now he's, you know, just closer to the end of his career. So, uh, you know, and, and that, that, that's why I was a fourth and six or something when the Vikings did the touchdown pass to Robinson. Uh, if you go back and watch that film, they're Dublin feeling on the one side. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diggs was on the other side in the slot, and they doubled him in the slot. One guy played outside, and the safety played on the inside, so they really were doubling him. Uh, and then Robinson was one-on-one by himself. So that that is why that third wide receiver position, which we haven't talked about much in the last month or so. Uh, we definitely talked about early in the year, uh, you know, with Laquan Treadwell and all that. But th- that's why that third wide receiver position is so vital, is that, hey, you can take away our number one and or our number two you can't take away three, uh, and you know that was a really, really big play in the ball game, obviously. And to your earlier point about third and long versus third and short, now third and short is where Kyle Rudolph is fantastic, and over the last two years he's been terrific. At you know maybe they make it look like they're going to run to the outside, and then he leaks out and he's wide open in the flat. This has happened a few times this year. He's great when you can run a play action, and he looks like he's going to block, and then doesn't. He's wide open. He's, he's been so good at those, and red zone, of course, too, but that is another sort of key that they were able to achieve with Case Keenum last year and Pat Shermer is utilizing Kyle Rudolph in this way. And so far this year, I mean, especially if you're in third and long, you just really can't go to him. Well, Rudy's actually, he's sort of sneaky good on, on certain types of underneath pass plays, you know, shallow crossing routes. Uh, for whatever reason, he always gets separation or seems to get separation from a lot of times it's a strong safety or linebacker. Uh, and then he catches the ball and, and usually turns it up and seems to make some pretty good plays on that. Uh, but, you know, third and longer, you're talking about going vertical. Uh, it's not what he does best. And, you know, there's another thing that uh, as, I'm, as we're sort of sitting here thinking about it, uh, you know, they don't run a lot of just, you know, traditional whether tight end screens mm-hmm. uh, or even running back screens on these third and long situations. I know sometimes as a fan, it's like, oh, crap, you know, third and 12, we run the stupid screen and we got, you know, five yards or whatever. But, you know, sometimes the best way to win is to sort of not lose. I know it sounds dumb, but, you know, when you throw the ball in third and long, you're talking about interceptions, uh, incompletions, sacks, sack fumbles. Uh, you know, holding penalties that, that kick you back even further, which did occur in this football game. Uh, you know, you had a situation where the, I think the Vikings had a fourth and 34 uh, after a, a holding did. penalty and then a sack or something. So, you know, it, bad, bad can turn into worse in third and long. Uh, and again, that's why I, I think we both believe uh, they need to find ways to get in, you know, third and medium, third and short situations 
rather than trying to probably throw the ball so much on first and second down. It was just really interesting that they played that game like they were losing when they were winning the whole time that you would, yeah. you know, and it just it just didn't make a whole lot of sense at times. And, and I wonder if that's something that John Filippo is still figuring out as he goes along. I mean, he's only a, this is only the second time that he's ever been in charge of driving the bus as a play caller. And I, I feel like last year, we would have seen lots of David Morgan, C.J. Ham, and lots of Latavius Murray in a game like that on first and second down. I mean, remember the one game they're playing Chicago and they run every single down all the way, just just kill the clock, pounding into the other team. And then this year with uh, Arizona at the end, they did it, but could have probably done it in other situations too. Yeah, listen, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, they start this game with a seven-yard run with Latavius Murray. Uh, there's a, a helmet-to-helmet tackle on that play that ends up being a, a 15-yard penalty. So really, it's a 22-yard play. Sec- second play of the game uh, for the Vikings offense, a nine-yard run by Mike Boone. You know what the third play was? A naked bootleg on second one. So you just ran for seven, uh, then you just run for nine, and then you throw the ball, right? I mean, as, as an offensive lineman, uh, it's like, listen, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's, it's okay to consistently just run the ball down the field. You know, less negative variables happen on running plays. And, and, and my guess is you're, you're, you're probably hearing some of those offensive linemen, you know, wishing they ran the ball well because they are running the ball well. They're yeah. just not running the ball very often, uh, which is why they're 27th in the league in, in rushing. Well, give me the stat that you gave me off the air before we started recording about Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray is averaging 4.8 yards per carry. Uh, Mike Boone's at 4.5 uh, in his eight carries. Uh, and uh, Todd Gurley, who a lot of people have as an NFL MVP candidate right now, is averaging 4.8 yards per carry. Kareem Hunt, another one of the best running backs in the league, as far and also Ezekiel Elliott, another really good running back. Those guys are at 4.7. So the Vikings are 27th league in rushing, but their running back uh, is really having one of the better uh, better seasons as far as yards per carry average. Uh, you know, he's amongst the, the very, very best in the league. Let me, uh, before I ask you about uh, where you were with the Minneapolis Miracle, I, I want to give you my Kyle Rudolph comparison. I think Kyle Rudolph is a car that you drive around and you're like, you know, I wish this, I wish it was a little faster. I wish that the cup holders were in a different spot or my Bluetooth doesn't work. You know what? I should go get a new car. I should get a different car. And then you get in the new car and it's got a recall issue and something else doesn't work. It breaks immediately. And you're like, ah, man, my reliable car was a lot better than this new car that actually isn't that great. And that's what I think of with Rudolph, that it's not it's not flawless. It's not Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski. But every time they try to go get some sort of sports car, like, oh, it's we're going to get Michael Pruitt and he'll run really fast or Bucky Hodges and he'll be the, the deep threat. And it shows you how difficult that position is to play. Yeah, Rudolph is like a Chevy Tahoe. <laughs> you know, he's like this big sort of strong thing. There's not a lot of fancy, super fancy upgrades in it. Uh, you paid good money for it. It, it, it does its job. Uh, you know, it can get you through the hard times. But uh, is he going to win? Any, is he going to win your races? No, he's not going. He's not a. He's not a, a, a Range Rover. Uh, but also doesn't come with the Range Rover problems or as far as when it breaks down and, and, and he's not, you know, as expensive or whatever. So yeah, he, he does a lot, a lot of good things, but stretching the field vertically, uh, is just not one of the things that he does well. And, and, you know, David Morgan, the second tight end does a lot of really good things as well, but he also doesn't have that, you know, sort of you know, extreme speed for a tight end. And so, you know, that might be something that they're really looking for in the offseason, whether it's, 
uh, the draft or free agency. For fans of The Simpsons, David Morgan is the Canyon Arrow. Did you ever were you a Simpsons guy? <laughs> no. Oh man, I'll I'll send you the clip then. <laughs> Just, Sounds good. There's a uh, a parody commercial of giant SUVs, and it was called the Canyon Arrow. And is Simpsons fans know exactly what I'm talking about? I'll send it to you. Um, so so tell me about your perspective on on the miracle play. My perspective on the miracle play: I was in the press box. I was standing next to Peter King, uh, who was sitting down. I be- I believe he was sitting down at the time. Uh, and then he stood up after it happened, but he and I were chatting. It was coming to the end of the game. Uh, I was going to go, uh, I was actually going to go down to the, uh, saints locker room. Either way, again, I've had this sort of long relationship with Drew known for 18 years now. Uh, and then, you know, obviously that, that, you know, sort of crazy play happened and the press box was, you know, as you know, you, the press box, you're supposed to not really yell or say anything. Uh, you're supposed to be sort of, uh, um, yeah, what the what, you know, you're supposed to be stoic or just you know not be rooting for a certain team, even though obviously you're, you know everyone's sort of rooting for their for their local team. But uh, yeah, you, no one's really supposed to say too much, and there were definitely some some sort of like screams going on, and then it was a rush to the elevators. I mean, mm-hmm. people immediately like that's the end of the game. We got to get downstairs right now to be you know first in line for the locker room and press conferences. And, and again, I. I, I ran. I took the stairs down and ended up uh, ended up in the Saints locker room, uh, which uh, which is obviously very very different than than the Vikings locker room. And the reason I wanted to do that was because for me it it, it reminded me of Bounty Gate, the 2009 championship mm-hmm. game. I remember being in the locker room where your season ends, you know, on a, w- w- with a terrible ending, uh, uh, you know, to a game. And and uh, you know, so I, I guess I want to maybe go back and and relive some of that. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I will I will say this I, I felt like our locker room in 2009 I guess it was 2010 at that time but 2009 season uh, was probably more depressing even than that Saints locker room. a lot of young guys on the Saints roster oh the Breeze a lot of young guys and so you know for them it's you know they're, hey well you know there's always next year but for that team in 2009 we had a lot of guys at the end of their career near the end obviously other than Favre but you know guys like Steve Hutchinson and even Jared Allen had a couple of years left after that, but you know a lot of guys that were you know, that sort of know how tough it is or knew how tough it is to get to a championship game, uh, and, and you know, and, and that was a very, very depressing, uh, depressing uh, end of that game. That's interesting because, of course, I went to the Vikings locker room, and that was an unbelievable scene. But what I remember most was going up to Harrison Smith and being like, "Oh, so you know, how do you feel about this? And this is crazy." And Harrison says. Well, yeah, I mean, we got a game next week, so I'm already starting to think about that. It's like you have <laughs> grown men crying at their lockers at, at, at what had just happened and celebrating and yelling and uh, something I've never seen before. That's probably as close as you'll get to what a Super Bowl locker room looks like. And here's Harrison Smith. Yeah, well, I'm already looking at the tape for next week. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's I tell you, sometimes in the NFL, you know, losing sucks and winning is not like the equivalent of losing on the other side, right? It's not, it's, it's not, it's not like the positive equivalent of right. the negativity of losing. There's more relief in winning. That's, that's the weird thing in particular when you're favored uh, like the Vikings were in that game, because they were you know, the second seed and, 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 and playing at home. So, you know, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Harrison was, you know, if anything, just relieved and, and uh, you know, ha- you know, really happy to, 
to, to try to prepare for that championship game. And I'm going to give myself credit for one thing when the Vikings got the ball back or when they made the stop, because for whatever reason, the New Orleans Saints decided not to have Drew Brees throw the football on third and one where they could have kept the clock going and potentially scored a touchdown and really put that thing to bed. And when they got the stop, because running at Linval Joseph makes a lot of sense. Um, I started writing Case Keenum leads an incredible comeback because I thought if they lose here, no fan is going to care to read what's going on, that people are going to throw bricks at their televisions and leave the house and go mow their lawns or whatever. It was nighttime. Um, but so I thought, okay, well, there's only one of these things that people will read. So I started writing Keenum reads. And then of course it happens. And I was able to publish the article right away and it got a ton of hits, but like, I, you know, that's, that's where, that's where I can, I don't know if I could, how easily I could be like a regular writer. You know, for me, it takes me a lot of times a day or even a couple of days to one, rewatch the game. Uh, but to sort of like, you know, gather all my collective thoughts from mm-hmm. that game, the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, when I when I am in those uh, those media areas, uh, you know, for the game, the press boxes, it's amazing to me how many writers are actually writing about the game as the game is going on, having no idea how the thing is going to end. Uh, yeah, I said I'm one of those guys that you know I, I need a little bit of time to to take it all in and then to collect my thoughts. It's a trick, man. I mean, it it it, it takes a lot of learning how to do it exactly. Like, okay, we've got a TV timeout. Here we go. I can get a couple of paragraphs in and I, you get a sense for the game. So what I usually do is I start writing in halftime because a lot of times you've got a sense for where this thing is going, like against the jets. They're not going to lose this game. Yeah, Very true. So like, very okay, true. let's take a look. When the at Vikings it. had, and the Vikings had a lot of those games last year where they had oh, some yes. sort of second quarter, third quarter, you know, two touchdown lead. And, you just you sort of knew it was just going to be a sort of an ugly ending with uh, conservative football on offense and and good you know good defense and the game would just sort of end in a ten point win and a lot of Vikings games ended that way last year. So before journeyman quarterback of the week, tell me, which I'm very excited about, tell me who wins this game or or what the at least what the determining factor is if you're not a picks guy. Oh. um... I like the Saints in this game. I, I do. I I, the, I think the Saints are uh, are an improved team from last year. Uh, they have so many good you know, players on offense, and and uh, and I just you know the, the Vikings are doing a lot of good things, and they're they're playing better football the last couple of weeks. They've also played against two rookie quarterbacks uh, and, and two pretty bad offenses and bad offensive lines, and so I I, I just don't I'm not sold much at all on on the vikings yet i'm I'm very lukewarm on them uh i am sold on the saints i think they're one of the best teams in the nfc uh as of right now i'd I'd pick them uh in the rams in the nfc championship game i agree with you i do think that the saints win this game but that the vikings show signs of the the same progress that we've seen over the last few weeks that they don't just melt down like they did against the Rams and give up 500 yards to breeze or something that it's. Oh no, I I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a very good game. I just, again, you know, it always comes down to the key plays in the game. Give me the quarterback. And if you compare the two, I'll, I'll take breeze in this one. Yeah. Hard to disagree with that. Uh, Okay. Journeyman quarterback of the week. First, before we get to who our selection is, I just want to say the 1999 new Orleans saints season is the greatest backup quarterback, journeyman quarterback season of all time. You have Billy Joe Tolliver, Billy Joe, uh, what's the other one? Um, Hobert. Hobert, right. And then you have Jake DeLome, 
and Danny Warfel all playing on the same team. What? Well, there, there you have it. There you have it. Yeah, Jake Delhomme, uh, <laughs> Jake Delhomme. You know, started his career as a backup to, I, I believe, Aaron Brooks was yeah. maybe the starter. Yeah. Uh, during that area, Mike McCarthy um, was the offensive coordinator. I think he went from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator uh, in the late '90s and early 2000s, uh, and maybe it was early, more early 2000s. But uh, yeah, Delhomme was on that team. Danny Warfel. A third round draft pick and, and two years, a couple of years later, I actually played with him uh, in Washington under Steve Spurrier right. for, for offseason right. and training camp. So I got a little uh, a warful action. I believe uh, I played golf with Billy Joe Tolliver one time <laughs> and Dan Marino in Miami. That was very random. That and is then super Billy random. Joe uh, uh, Holbert or a bear, however you want to say, I, he might be, is he the, uh, the voice of the saints or maybe has a radio show? Down New Orleans, I feel like he's still sort of okay. So that's that's Bobby Abear, and then oh, Bobby there's Billy Hebert. Joe yes. Hobart. Now, the what happened with Billy Joe Hobart one time was the Buffalo Bills signed him as a backup quarterback, and he had to go in in like the first week, and it was the biggest disaster you've ever seen. And after the game, he admitted that he basically had never studied the playbook. I remember this. And I think that was <laughs> like that was the end of the road. And that that was, was it. It's just like okay. All right. Well, we'll find somebody else then, I guess. I mean, under stupid ways for a backup quarterback to get cut, not knowing the playbook. And then Chad Kelly set a new record with stand on someone's lawn and get arrested at one o'clock in the morning. Yep. Well, it's, you know, you can't teach a dog, an old dog, new tricks sometimes. That's the way it goes. Uh, um, so our... who, are we, who are we talking about this week? Who are we focusing on? We always focus on the, the opponents. Uh, a great, are we going to focus on anyone in particular this week? It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. Yes, well, this guy has played for both teams, the Saints and the Vikings, and that is Todd Bauman, who did not get his first real sniff of NFL game action until age 29 and came in and played pretty well. He went one and two as a starter, ended up with a 98 quarterback rating, eight touchdowns, four picks. And really didn't get another shot after that to ever be anybody's starter. But there is one great wiki factoid. And then he played for New Orleans briefly three starts in 2005. Lost all three. But the wiki factoid from Todd Bauman is there is a headline in his Wikipedia that says third, fourth, fifth, and sixth stints with the Jaguars. Yes, that's a great. (laughs) I see this. I'm looking at the Wikipedia with you. Yeah, you have. Here's his career. Minnesota Vikings, New Orleans Saints, Green Bay Packers, first stint with Jaguars, St. Louis Rams, second stint with Jaguars, Baltimore Ravens, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth stints with the Jaguars. Obviously, my guess is that he was signed and cut and signed and cut, mm-hmm. uh, you know, multiple times during the season, which does occur, uh, on your, you know, your number three quarterback a lot of times or, or whatever. So yeah, that, that's, I think that's a definition of German quarterback. If you've played for a team, one team six times, You've journeyed just on that team. So, yeah, that's right. Yes. Now, he's also a Minnesota boy. He is. Correct. I, yes. He's, he is St. Cloud kid from Ruthton, Minnesota. That's where he was born. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to talk about some local guys. So, yeah, he had a really nice uh, career, had a really big arm, uh, you know, Todd. Um, that's what I remember him uh, about him the most uh, is that he had a really, really strong arm. So when he was, you know, down there, you know, we backed up a little bit with uh, – like Aaron Brooks, who had a cannon too for the mm-hmm. Saints, 
I just remember going, man, these guys, and it was, you know, me and Jay Fiedler and Brian Greasy in Miami. And we used to play them in the preseason. I'm like, man, these, this team has a couple guys with some cannons. And here all of us have like these, you know, fairly average arms. And so, yeah, Todd Bauman, really big arm and, and had a nice career. I, I love going through this. Uh, released in favor of Jamie Martin. He was signed to back up Quinn Gray. He uh, was the backup when Gus Farratt went down once in St. Louis. I mean, this is incredible. He was uh, Kyle Bowler. Uh, John Beck comes up in this. Luke McCown yep. when he was placed on Trent Ed- Trent Edwards. <laughs> yeah, Trent, Trent Edwards is also in here somewhere. Quinn Gray, David Garrard. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. The life of a journeyman. Okay, Sage. He well, did. But here's a nice thing about it. You know, here's the cool thing about being a German backup. He, you know, played for all these teams, but, you know, and they're all different, right? You know, you, I don't know how many good, hey, I've got some good Mark Bulger stories for you, right? I mean, he probably doesn't have a lot of those, but he did get to have a cup of tea with the Green Bay Packers uh, and Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. when Aaron Rodgers was, was very young. That's the cool things you get to have is you should got to have that cup of coffee with him, you know, and, and probably carry some of those stories when he sort of knew Aaron Rodgers early in, in Aaron's career. Uh, he'll get to carry those for the rest of his life and, and get to tell some of those stories. That's, that's one of the benefits of being a journeyman backup. Yeah. You know, I talked to a guy on this podcast who had been, his name was Matt Blanchard. Uh, he worked with the same QB guru as Kirk Cousins. That was the connection. But he had been on the practice squad with uh, Cam Newton. Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers were like the three quarterbacks that he got to be in practice with. So, was, you know, <laughs> not too many people can say that. So it's pretty good. That's well, pretty good. Yeah. Congratulations to Todd Bauman, our journeyman quarterback of the week. And Sage, we will talk to you uh, next week after it's all over and break it down. Sounds good. Thank you. And thank you uh, all for listening to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.